All right, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for gifts. I want to thank you, Lord, that you bless us with different people that reflect something of who you are in a different way to us. And I thank you for Helen, for the person that you've made her to be. Uh, I thank you, Lord, for how she communicates, what she shares, and the heart with which she does it. And I pray, Lord, that uh, this morning we would be built up and encouraged and refreshed in your words. And I pray, too, that you would use her in a powerful way, that we, we truly would see more clearly uh, who Jesus is and what he's done for us after she's finished this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd come, and as we open our hearts, that you'd plant good seed that would bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. It's always a, a pleasure to and a privilege to share, and I hope that uh, you'll be encouraged this morning. And uh, what I want to speak about, it's so wonderful as we invite a whole lot of new people into our church family and as we journey together uh, and as we build in our leadership teams and all the different teams where we're helping with one another, I want to speak about healthy relationships because that's what makes a healthy church. One of the things that we love and that we're intentionally aiming at as a, as a church is to be a family. And we say that we are wanting people to be rooted in Christ, as Anne shared earlier. But we also want people to be planted in a family where they can find a sense of belonging. And so for me, this is a wonderful value and it's a wonderful thing that we're aiming at. But it's good to talk about what does a church family look like? How has that worked out? In, in reality. And then also on another level, I know we, we're talking about doing this gospel-shaped outreach, which is a, is a wonderful way that we can be ourselves with people and, and show them something of what Christ has done in us. Um, but it also means that we can know more about who God is to us so that we can live that out in an authentic and a natural way. And I think that as we understand what it is to be a, a healthy church community, that will naturally flow out to others in, in, those, in the different places where we meet people in the world outside. Um, when we, uh, I think we've got one, if you see that second board over there, it's a very sm small writing to read, but we've got up there our values as a church. And, and we really value things like unity, uh, forgiveness, authenticity, um, generosity, servant-heartedness, um, courage. These are some of the things we want as a, a culture within this church, so that if you came to Forest Town, hopefully you would see or taste something of those things in how we are uh, work out our relationships with one another. We want to be really intentional about building a culture of honor and grace where people can find acceptance and a safe place to know God and know others and be known for who they are themselves. So what does it mean to build such a thing? It's something to say it in writing, but it's another thing to actually consciously and intentionally build that. We want to be a church where we love people for who they are and not for what we can get them to do to conform to a, a checklist or some kind of program. People don't fit into boxes. I, I hope that you can know that when you're here, you can be here in your own right as your own person and find the fullness of who God has made you to be. In 1 John 2, verse 1 to 2, it says, 
when Jesus served as a sacrifice for our sins, Jesus solved the problem of sin, not only ours, but the whole world's. You see, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that satisfied all the requirements for us to be made right with God. So that when God looks on us, no longer does he see our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus in our place. Sin has been sorted out once and for all. And through Jesus, we can now have access to the Father. But this is good news, not only in that we now enter into a new relationship with God, it's also the ongoing state of our growing friendship with God. We start with this place where we get right standing with God in Christ, but that's the starting point. There's this wonderful, rich life that God wants us to take us into, and he wants us to understand. So Tim Keller has this quote um, that he says, and I think we've said it before, the gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian life, but it's the A to Z, if you're American, for rhyming purposes, but it's the A to Z of the Christian life. It is the whole of our lives is transformed and changed by the gospel. And that's why we are so passionate about us as a church coming to grips with the amazing thing that Christ has done for us. It's not just how we come to have access to God as our Father in the starting point. It's how we actually go deeper and build our relationship with Him. You see, by creating, by solving this problem of sin so that we can be right with God, Jesus created a safe place, the safest place in the world for us to be loved, known, and accepted. And Jesus invited people into connection with him. And as I said before, not into some religious reform program. He showed up in the midst of our brokenness with compassion and healing. And when we read the stories in the Bible of how Jesus interacted with people, we can be shocked by how graciously and kindly he connected with sinners. There wasn't an ounce of judgmentalism and criticism with, him, with Jesus when he met with the most broken people. There was always this compassion and this invitation to journey with him. But Jesus likewise gives us um, a requirement if we want to live and flourish in this safe place of relationship with him. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And the Apostle John wrote this, these words. He says, my dear children, let's just not talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way that we'll know we're living, truly living in God's reality. Because you see, God has not only called us into right relationship with himself through Jesus, but he's also called us to work out our lives in relationship with one another, with others. And the way that we learn how to pursue connection with our Heavenly Father is through the Holy Spirit. And we allow him to love us and to transform us from orphan spirits to sons and daughters of the Most High God. I suppose I always think of the story when we lived in South Africa um, 
near, near the church where we had in Johannesburg, uh, there was a huge rubbish dump. I mean, it was probably five acres of, of rubbish dump land, and there were mounds of rubbish. And on these rubbish dumps lived these children. They were orphans, and they had nothing. And they used to scavenge in the, in the rubbish for food and little bits of anything to survive. And that's where they lived. And we had an amazing lady called uh, Jane who saw these children she, when she went to drop some things off at the dump. And she decided she wanted to reach out to them. And so she started befriending them and talking to them. And after a while, as a church, there was a real burden for these children. There was a, probably about 12 of them. And uh, the on the side of the church property, there was a house. So the house was bought, and these children were rehoused into the house, and we ran this, I suppose, like an orphanage for these children from the dump. But one of the things that Jane always said, which was such a, uh, uh, I suppose, a revelation to her of the orphan spirit and their survival mentality was they had now all the clothes they needed, they had food, they had running water, they had everything they needed. But every time she went to tuck them in a, to bed at night, she saw underneath their pillow, they had kept scraps of their supper from the night before and hid it under their pillow because they were, still were not sure that they were going to have food the next day. They had been so, it had become so instinctive to them to get into survival mode. They didn't know, could I truly trust that my next meal is going to be provided for? And I want to say that sometimes we have, we, we can come to God and come in a relationship to God and we can still have instinctive orphan ways of thinking and orphan mentality that says I don't know if I can really really trust my father in heaven and we still fall back on things that we rely on that are not there's no reason for it but we can fall back into our old patterns of surviving. But God is inviting us into this place where we can transform into sons and daughters of a king. So there's a real mind shift that has to happen. But I want to say the other way that we learn to love in our relationships, we learn from the Father as he loves us, but we also learn through the relationships that we have in our lives whether it's our husbands and wives, children, siblings, friends, colleagues, parents, acquaintances. These people all fill the rich tapestry of our lives. And they also are the testing and the training ground for our love to grow. It's very easy to have a theoretical understanding about love if you don't have a relationship. I always think about before we had children. We had a lot of advice on parenting before we had children. <laughs> and then when you have children, you kind of like, go, I'm not going to be so fast with my advice. It's not as easy. And it's the same with relationships. We can have a lot of theories about how relationships would should work. But God gives us relationships where we've got to work those things out in our lives. As a young person, I used to run the 800 meters, and that's the, the picture up there, but that's not me. It's, it's similar to the kind of area where I used to run. And one part of my training regime was hill training. 
So I don't think anyone in their normal mind would want to run seven sets of 200 meter long inclines, have a, uh, we could rest for two to three minutes and then we'd start the next set of seven. You had to sprint to the top, get there, jog down, sprint back seven times in a row and do three sets of those. But it was, it was quite grueling. But we knew that this was the difference between powering in the final 200 meters of our race in order to win the prize or lose that edge to the other person. It was intensive training, but it really, really paid off. And I never thought that teaching myself to push through a physical pain barrier would help me later in life when I had to push through the pain barrier of difficult relationships where everything inside of me wants to give up and not push through. But it's the hard relationships that teach us the most about the power of love, about how to run up that hill again and again because love compels you. Some people are easy to love, but all of us have relationships that challenge us to find grace and kindness and perseverance. And Jesus said, and I'm just going to paraphrase how he said it, but he said, how are you different to everyone else if you just love those who love you? Even wicked people do that. You see, if we're going to talk about a gospel community, I want to say that's a community where the love of God transforms our relationships within our homes, our work, and our church community. So let's ask this question, what do healthy relationships look like and how do we go about building them? Because when we come into church community, uh, we can bring all our hurts and our misgivings and we can keep all our walls up to stop ourselves from being hurt again. But Jesus invites us on a journey together to find in him the power of healing and wholeness within our own selves and within our relationships. So I want to say the first thing is that healthy relationships start with healthy people. One thing that I've noticed, and maybe for those of you who've been a Christian for many years, is the longer that I'm a Christian, the more I have become aware of my brokenness and my need for Jesus. You know, you might think that the longer you're a Christian, you think, oh, my life's getting more and more clear how wonderful and perfect I'm becoming. But actually, I just become more and more aware, God, I need you in my life, the longer I'm a Christian. Um, because when I was younger, I must say, I thought I was a pretty amazing person. And wasn't everyone so blessed just to know me? But now, I lie awake at night, and I cringe at some of the things I said or did in arrogance or self-importance. But then I remind myself that this is why Jesus died, to free me from the pain of my regrets and my past sins. But my point is that sometimes we can go through life completely oblivious to the things that fuel us and the way that our relationships are hindered by our blind spots. Um, in his book, Keep Your Love On, which is written by Danny Silk, I can highly recommend it, he speaks about the difference between being a powerful person and a powerless person. I had a dear friend who was a powerless person, 
It made them loving them very, very challenging at every turn. And the greatest challenge was helping them see that they could become powerful and live life from a place of resting in their God-given identity and calling. In some ways, I think church community is about working with the Holy Spirit as he works in the lives of those around us and in our own lives <clears throat> by helping each other to move from powerlessness to becoming powerful people. So um, Nick has put up some things there that Danny Silk defines as what makes us a powerless person. So I might read some of these things and say them, and as I'm reading them, you might think, wow, that's how I talk, that's how I think. Or you might think, that's how someone cl close to me or someone I work with or someone in my family is. And I think it's good for us to identify when we are behaving like people who think that they are powerless. Maybe we use language like, I can't. Oh, I have to do this. As if you have no choice in the matter. Or I'll try in order to absolve yourself from not coming through on a promise or a commitment. A powerless person, the driving, defining force of a powerless person is anxiety. Because life is scary when you feel that everyone else is more powerful and more in control than you are. And powerless people have a deep need to assuage their fears of loss, death, or abandonment, or pain. But they feel powerless to tackle their fears, so they need other people to protect them, make them happy, and take responsibility for their lives and their choices. The only way that they can get people to do this for them is by cultivating ways to control and manipulate others. Now, control and manipulation can look very different. Sometimes it can be aggressive, angry outbursts to, to subdue people, or it can be very passive, veiled threats of withdrawing love and affection. But the root is the same, it's fear. You see, powerless people approach relationships as consumers. They're always looking for other people who have resources of love, happiness, joy, and comfort to share with them because they don't have any. And they'll suck another person dry if they are allowed to. Powerless people often blame others for the messes that they make in their lives. And they create an anxiety-driven environment wherever they go. And people who know and live with powerless people learn skills to survive, and they can land up feeding this powerlessness just to avoid the unpleasantness of a confrontation. And this, in turn, makes the other person powerless too. These are quite hard-hitting things. These are quite straight things that Danny still mentions in his book. But as I was looking them, I had to say, are there any behaviors like this that are true of me? Or do I see some of these things in people that I love or in, in different contexts of my life? Because I want to say the gospel of Jesus is everything that we need to find wholeness and to move to a place of becoming powerful people. We might have been orphans, 
We might have been powerless, but Jesus said, I came to save you, to bring you to a place of becoming powerful in me. I want you to be someone who's not a victim. I'm going to make you into someone who's able to do far more than, than you can hope or imagine in Christ. So let's ask the other question then, what do powerful people look like? Well, powerful people are not controlling, dominating people as you might expect, because we might have stereotypes of power. We might think if someone's very powerful, they're very forceful and in your face. Well, I don't think that's necessarily what we mean by power here, because powerful people don't try to control others because they understand that's not their job. Their job is to control themselves. I think when you're in a relationship where a, a powerless person is expecting of you to do everything for them and you are always doing everything for a powerless person, that's where the boundaries are not helpful and you have to realize, actually, my job is to take care of me and to expect that person to take ownership for their life. Their job is to control themselves. And then powerful people don't try to get people to respect them and find ways of pleading and making sure that people treat them well. They create a respectful environment by showing respect. I had a very difficult friendship with someone many years ago, and I found it really hard because this person would have a passive-aggressive um, response to me and be very cutting, and all I did each time was the way that I responded was I tried to be always gracious, always kind, always spoke to them. Even when the way they spoke to me cut to my heart, it made me feel like right now I could actually, I just want to scream or I want to hit back. But I just continued to be gracious. And I, I, I had this little phrase saying, I choose joy every time I was with that person. You see, Jesus did this. He, he created a respectful environment because when he was reviled and spat upon by his accusers, he, silently and digni his silent dignity denounced their cowardice and the malice of his accusers. And the third thing I want to say is that powerful people don't simply react to what is going on around them. They take responsibility for their decisions and the consequences of their decisions, even their mistakes and their failures. That's what it looks like to be a powerful person. But the question is, how do we go from moving from being a powerless person to becoming a powerful person in our relationships? Because human beings have three classic responses to th the threat of pain, whether it's in relationships or in, in danger in the world, and that's fight, sorry, I was going to say fright, fight, flight, or freeze. We have those instinctive reactions, and there we have a picture of a rattlesnake. So let's imagine you came across a rattlesnake. I don't know what the, the given thing is. Has anyone here had um, lessons on how to encounter a rattlesnake? Do you stand still? Do you run away? Or do you... Um, freeze, I don't know what you do, but probably stand still and look very big and intimidating and hopefully it'll go away. 
But usually, you don't think so. Okay, I don't know snakes. I'll get someone more authoritative. <laughs> That's hopeful thinking. It's going to go away. But I think when you, when you deal with a rattlesnake, if you're trying to capture it, people have all those prods and prongs and metal things, and then they'll hook its neck down and then catch it and put it in the bag or, or chase it away or something. But it, it, it involves a lot of kind of forceful ways that you, you deal with a rattlesnake. And few of us would keep rattlesnakes as pets in our homes. Um, is that true? I know some of you like reptiles, but rattlesnakes is one step too far, I hope. And a few of us would want to create a loving, lasting, intimate relationship with the rattlesnake. Oh, well, I hope we are agreeing on that. Because um, the, the truth is that when the threat of harm is high, the level of love is low. <laughs> You're not going to make a very intimate, loving relationship with a rattlesnake because it's dangerous for you. It's going to potentially cause you pain and, and death and what other, other symptoms about from a rattlesnake causes. Now, relationships with people are much more complicated than a ra relationship with a rattlesnake because people are a mixture. They bring to us comfort from pain and people can bring us pain. So you can't just say, this person is a to total rattlesnake in my life, or this person is not, because people can bring different things into our lives. But I want to say the thing with our relationships is that if we want to really preserve our relationships, we must learn to respond instead of react to fear. Because reacting with negative learned patterns of behavior is instinctive to us when we are afraid or we sense pain in a relationship. We put up the walls, we get defensive, we control, we manipulate, we do those things to protect our hearts. We, we shut people out. But choosing how we respond requires relying on the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom, the grace, and the resources we need. Because you see, powerful people are not slaves to their instincts, but they can respond with love in the face of pain and fear. And if you take that word responsibility, their response ability is essential in building healthy relationships. Paul teaches us this in Romans 7, verse 21 to 25. He says this, He's trying to say that we're no longer slaves to this fleshly nature. He says, so I find this law at work. I don't know if it's up there, um, Nick. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But then I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. We've got this wrestle going on inside of us, this part of us, that orphan spirit, that side of us that just wants to give in to all the base things in our nature. And then we have been renewed in Christ. We have his Holy Spirit within us. And we've got these two 
sides of us raging within us in how we react in our relationships. But Paul goes on in chapter 8 to explain how the law is powerless to change us, and it just keeps us in the place of lawlessness. You see, when we try to change our powerless behavior by striving, by self-help techniques, by finding I'm going to just resolve to do this. And we have a New Year's resolution and a new month's resolution because I'm just going to do this better. It never, ever works. Powerless behavior that hurts our relationships has to be seen for what it is. It needs to be taken at the root and completely destroyed. And I want to say this is impossible in our own strength. This is not a humanly possible thing that we can just change maybe how we've been behaving for years. Maybe there's roots in our childhood that we've observed our parents behave in a certain way. These things don't just change like that because we decide we want to just make it different. We need supernatural power. We need the grace of God to help us. And we need to relearn new positive ways of behaving and becoming powerless, powerful. Um, but I want to say... Because we have the Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit that was so powerful to raise Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit is the power within us. Do you think if Jesus was, if the Holy Spirit was so powerful enough to take someone who was dead and bring them back to life, do you think that same Spirit within you is not able to take you from being an orphan, from thinking like a powerless person, and to help you transform into the powerful person that God has called you to be. You see, this is what Ant was preaching about last week, about walking by the Spirit. He said, when we walk by the Spirit, then we learn not to gratify the desires of the flesh. We've got to starve that old way of being. We've got to kill it. So I want to give you eight practical steps of how to walk by the Spirit. And I hope that they will help you transform from this place to powerful, from powerlessness to powerful. And the first thing I want to say is to embrace your identity. Grab hold of who you are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that we are children of God. That means that you and I have an eternal father that cares for you. He's on your side and he's cheering you on in righteousness. Don't think like an orphan. Think, know that you've got your eternal father behind you, right there with you, and embrace your new identity. And the second thing is deny your flesh. I suppose we have to have a will within us, that strong resolve that says no. I'm going to say no. Every time that desire in me to go to snap or to bite or to sulk or withdraw that damages relationships with, around me, I can choose to say no. Every time you say no, you are asserting spiritual dominion and letting your fresh flesh know God is in control. And it may be really difficult at first, but keep pressing on into God's power for breakthrough. The third thing is kingdom thinking. Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of heaven and God's righteousness this means we need to prioritize our thought life around the kingdom of God. Think about the things that God thinks about. 
Concern your heart with the things that God is concerned about and fashion your thoughts after what Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 8, whatever is pure, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, think on these things. It's good to know what thought patterns trigger you into a place of fear and brings out all the worst in you. Remember, fear is, the, fear is what is the root of all our ugly behavior. It's fear. What thought patterns trigger your fears? That's where you need to start addressing that and getting your thinking in line with God's ways of thinking. The third thing, pray and listen. Um, I have a very dear friend that I love very much, and don't worry, they're not in this church. But I find it really hard sometimes in conversations because I never get a word in. <laughs> I, it's, which is fine, and that's great. But... Our prayer life shouldn't be like that when we talk to God. It shouldn't just be talk, 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 and we never stop and listen to this wonderful dialogue that God wants to say things back to us. Walking by the Spirit is also learning to listen to what God wants to say to us in turn. What is He putting His finger on in our lives? What is He um, helping us to see? And then the next one is avoid strife. And walking by the Spirit means... Walking in harmony with God and with others. So we have to guard our hearts and our tongues from bickering, bitterness, and conflict. My grandpa always used to say to us girls, because girls fight in a family, Barbie, we used to fight, and I can still remember my grandfather's words, be ye kind to one another, and he said it in that tone. And it was something that we had to really take note of to avoid strife. We've got to learn to rest in Christ. He'll fight your battles. You need only be still. And I just want to mention these last three, and then we're going to close. Self-examination. Allow the Word of God to examine you. Get real with yourself and put yourself Open your heart before God and invite him to come and uproot the weeds before they take root. And then the next one is know your weaknesses. Um, it's so important, and this can never be un overlooked, but we really need to know what our weaknesses are. Because the truth is that the enemy knows your weaknesses sometimes better than you do. And he comes and he brings... Uh, just a niggle in the areas where you feel like you keep tripping up. And if you know those areas where you are weak and where you struggle, it already begins to protect you from the temptations and pressures. And the last thing that it means to walk by the Spirit as a practical suggestion is remember your helper. Remember the Holy Spirit is your best friend and your eternal mentor. Lean on Him and remember, Jesus sent him to walk alongside you on your spiritual journey. Take your troubles to him daily. And some days will be better than others, but he will be there to keep you on the path. So Paul ends Romans 8 with this wonderful reminder. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, 
Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. I want to say, if fear makes us powerless, and we have learned powerless ways of behaving in our relationship, Paul reminds us that when we walk by the Spirit, we are drawn into deeper connection with our heavenly Abba, which is an Aramaic word for daddy. That's how intimate it is, daddy, dad. And something in our spirits is quietened, and we are soothed like a child in the arms of a loving father. He banishes all fear from our hearts, and the fear that drives us to desperate means to control others or let ourselves be controlled to appease others' fears begins to melt away. Today can be the start of learning to walk to a new rhythm, a new inner voice, the voice of the Spirit. Will we make mistakes? Probably. But if you are honest about the powerlessness inside yourself and how it breaks your relationships, then I want to say you've already begun to win the battle. You've sniffed out the enemy, which is fear, and now you have to learn to starve it to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to conclude by saying this. God has called us to be salt and light in the world around us, to bring hope and peace where people are caught in their brokenness and sin. And as we all together understand the wonderful power of God that is available to us through Christ Jesus in our own lives, we'll be able to show others the way to him too. This is the aim of our gospel-centered outreach program, that um, course that we want to do. But we want to let the gospel of Jesus so saturate our lives that wherever we go, we'll be bringers of hope and live empowered lives that say no to fear and yes to love. As I was preparing, I felt I wanted to do some, uh, just to pray, have some time just for people to respond, Um, and just in three different areas. And before I say that, I just want to say, if you feel like God has spoken to you today and to any of these areas, we want to have continued support, and maybe you want to go a little bit deep and um, find healing or wholeness in your life in, in any of these ways. So just to let you know, on Monday, as in tomorrow, <laughs> um, Jill and Derek will be starting the Living Free course. And this is definitely something that they will be helping people with. And if this is something that you're saying, I need help with, it's not, I feel like I'm caught in a powerless cycle in a relationship. I really want to encourage you. That is a wonderful place to do that. And then In our our Going Deeper course that we're going to run at the end of the term, we're going to have a look at some of these things more fully. How do we live healthy relationships? And I know that as we together do this course, I think God's going to do some wonderful things in our hearts and bring us to a place of freedom. So catch Nicolene afterwards at the back table and get one of those for yourself. But, um, yeah, I just want to felt that there were three areas just to pray for and um, the first one is for salvation maybe today you are here and you're thinking well I'm actually still an orphan 
I don't know God as my father. I don't know how to access him as that. I don't really know his power to help me in my life. Well, I want to say that this morning, I want to give that invitation to you. Perhaps you're in that place and you're saying, God, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. So I'm just going to ask if we can just bow our heads and I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If you feel that that's something you want to pray in your heart, then do that. And then we're going to uh, just pray for some other things as well. Father God, I want to ask that you would see my heart. I want to ask that uh, you would come and make yourself real to me. I wish I could know you as a father. I wish I could have a relationship with you that wasn't just a distant, vague reality. Please will you come into my life. I thank you that Jesus died so that I can be made right with you. And I receive and I believe in what Jesus did as the way that I can be made right with you, God. And I ask, would you come and wash me clean from my sins? And would you help me to become a powerful person who lives out the fullness of my destiny that you created me for? I ask you, Lord, would you do this in my life today? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If, you, if you prayed that prayer in your heart, I really want to encourage you to take a bold step and tell someone so we can pray with you and stand with you. And most of all, celebrate with you, because that is one of the most wonderful decisions anyone could ever make. But um, I'm just going to ask if we can all just stand, um, and I'm just going to call out some things that I feel to pray for, and then if you want to respond. <laughs> 